Episode 208 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. Pilot to Pilot is brought to you by The Finer Points. These guys are constantly adding content to the Ground School app. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Yeah, my name is uh, Bradley Anderson. I am a brand new certified flight instructor and professional tattoo artist. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Today's episode is a great one. It is with my buddy, Bradley. Bradley is a professional tattoo artist. He self-proclaims himself as the most neck tattoos on the flight line. So it was really cool talking to him and seeing how he got into aviation, how passionate he is for aviation. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him and blaze his path and create his path in aviation and see how far he can take this. If you're interested in this episode and in many episodes past, check out our Instagram page and our, and our website, pilotspilothq.com and at pilot and Pilot's Coffee whole beans are here. It is official. Go to pilotscoffee.com. We have three amazing blends. You can get them either in whole beans or you can get them ground. It's amazing. They're brewed, or not they're brewed, they're roasted immediately when you order them. And as soon as they ship, they are fresh and they are so, so good. So we're just expanding Pilot's Coffee, the best coffee in the game. Share it with everyone. Uh, if you buy three bags and use the code three ship free, all caps, then you get free shipping. So go check that out. Navigation, I want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Bradley. Bradley, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, this is pretty cool. I've never interviewed a professional tattoo artist turned pilot. Uh, it's me a cool conversation just to figure out how how this happened, how you were able to to get in aviation and and tattooing too. Yeah, I'm excited to share it, man. It's been a fun uh, fun process for sure. I bet. Well, let's start out with aviation. Uh, did you get into aviation later in life? Did you always know you wanted to be a pilot, but kind of just took the long track? Or t- tell me about your path getting into aviation. Yeah, so kind of both. Um, so I, I've technically been flying my whole life. Um, I grew up around a couple of pilots. Uh, my aunt and my uncle were my. They were both going through their ratings when I was a kid. So. Um, I, that just kind of happened to to love me into it. We went flying all the time. And I think the first time I was actually in an airplane was, uh, was about six months old. And my uncle stuffed me in a car seat in a, in a Cessna 172. So, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I always, I really wanted to do when I was a kid. That was always my goal. Um, and when I was a teenager, I just kind of got sidetracked by music and tattooing, uh, pursued that route and then started actually going after my ratings in 2017. So now we're here. You wish you would have done flying early. Are you happy with kind of how everything progressed? Cause everyone gets into flying and at their own pace. I mean, when you're forced into flying, it usually doesn't end well. <laughs> you usually get burnt out or you don't want to do it anymore, but are you glad how everything went? I, I am, um, you know, cause it, it was kind of like that when I was doing it, when I was a kid, it kind of felt, because I, I did take a couple uh, lessons when I was younger, and it, it did feel forced. It felt like, oh, this is what my parents want me to do. This isn't what I want to do. 
And I, I'm, I'm very happy with how I did get into aviation because I did it. Yeah. At my own accord. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like by the time I, I was, I was 25 when I started flight training and I feel like I was just way more mature at that point. So I think it worked really well. Definitely. There is something to being mature about going about this. I know when I first started my training, I, I might not have studied as hard as I needed to, you know, I like the flying aspect right. of it, but like actually getting myself to study. I know my first flight instructor, I don't know if he listens to this, but he's probably laughing that I'm giving advice because I was probably the worst flight student at the beginning. <laughs> I was just like, oh, let's go fly. This is fun. He asked me a question. like, I don't know, but let's go fly. He's like, this is not how it works, dude. <laughs> so yeah, yeah exactly. being mature definitely helps. Yeah, no doubt. And, and that's exactly how I was not, uh, I was not a good student in, in high school. And, you know, so if I would have started it then, it probably would have been a disaster. Yeah. So talk about your path to becoming a professional tattoo artist. Uh, you said music and tattooing. Was this something that you always had a passion for art and just drawing and tattooing came to be? Or did you have a guidance and a mentor coming that way? Talk about that. Yeah. So uh, I that's, yeah, art has been a part of my life uh, as, as long as flying has, really. Um, my grandmother is an artist. And when I was a kid, when I was a baby, actually, she would have me, you know, scribble stuff on paper. And as I started to get older, she would try to teach me how to draw little things and have me kind of follow her lead. And uh, I actually, I used to draw airplanes like 24-7. I had just sheets and sheets of, of airplane drawings when I was a, like, you know, elementary school age. <laughs> um, it kind of, yeah, it was, it was always a big part of my life. And it, it progressed as I got into my teenage years and I really started getting into kind of the alternative side of things, you know, I, I picked up a guitar and, and played in a, in a metal band and played in punk bands and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I kind of found that outlet with tattooing because I, I got my first tattoo when I was 16, uh, much to my mother's dismay <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, and just being in that environment really opened a whole new door for me. I mean, it was, you know, I went in and it was like, these are my people. They're listening to the music I like. This is a cool environment. They're all making art. They're making a living off of it. And uh, it's it's one of those things where as a young artist, you're kind of told that uh, art isn't really a pathway. You're never going to make money off of art. You know, the, the cliche starving artist uh thing going on and uh tattooing kind of proved that wrong so i i really just i fell into it and uh when i was 17 i got my uh my first tattoo machine which again sorry mom uh <laughs> but uh you know and i started learning just the worst way possible i started tattooing on myself and tattooing my friends and um, you know, it was, it was not the ideal, uh, way to, to go about it. And I certainly don't recommend that anybody do that, <laughs> but it worked for me. Um, and you know, I kind of came to that point where I was like, you know, I, I need to do this the right way. I need to actually find a mentor. Um, and I approached the guy who had done my first tattoo and got an apprenticeship and really, just, I spent about a year and a half in an apprenticeship, just cleaning the shop, basically cleaning the shop, taking out trash uh, doing all the grunt work. And, uh, eventually I got cut loose and I've been doing it for, uh, for 10 years in March. Actually, I've been out of my apprenticeship for 10 years in March. 
You know what's crazy is when you hear people talk about all industries that they get into, uh, whether it's on my podcast or other podcasts, they always talk about that moment either where they had a mentor or the apprenticeship or where they're just doing the grunt work, where they're doing whatever it takes to get into, uh, be around people that are successful in this career. And that is so true in anything you want to do. And I've talked about it on the podcast before, go to the airport, be around the pilots, just go show up, just do the first step and just be at the airport and, and hear the stories. You don't know what kind of opportunities are going to come your way or what you'll learn or the mentors you might be able to get. And it's just crazy to see how that pretty much works in every aspect of, of any job that you want. Yeah, you can go in and put the work, whether it's an internship or what you did, and just be around the people you want to be, and they will guide you down the path. Absolutely. And, you know, I've noticed a huge handoff. Uh, it's, you know, I never thought I would use uh, professional tattooing and the things that I've learned in professional tattooing to benefit me in aviation because I've actually approached it that exact same way with that mentality. Like, okay, I know I have to start at the bottom. I know I just have to hang around that environment that I want to be in. And I have to put in the work. I have to do all the dirty work that I don't necessarily want to do, but it's going to pay off tenfold down the road. And it's, it's crazy how it does translate like that. What did, um, what was your mom more like, uh, not scared or what, but when you got your first tattoo or told her you want to be a tattoo artist or when you actually wanted to pursue flying, was she like, whoa, 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 whoa. this is too much. <laughs> so, a little bit of both. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I don't think anything I've done has actually surprised my family that much. <laughs> it's funny, you know, when I told them like, Oh, I want to be a tattoo artist. They're like, Oh, it makes sense. The kid's been drawing. He could hold a pencil, you know? Um, there were some eye rolls, you know, I did have to spend some time convincing them. And, uh, you know, I think they see it now. It's just a part of me, you know, it's, it's, it's become a very successful, um, facet of my life. And, uh, but you know, yeah, when I, when I told her, Hey mom, I want to, I don't want to go to school. I want to, I want to make tattoos and play loud music. And she was like, okay, you know, this supportive mother, like, we're just going to feel this one out. We're going to see where it goes. And, uh, and the same thing with flying, you know, and I, when I decided that I want to start going after my ratings, I was like, Hey mom, I'm going to be a pilot now. And it was once again, just, okay, yep. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> was, um, what's been the harder kind of transition to make, not transition, but what's been the harder pathway for you, uh, when first getting started being doing tattoos or, uh, figuring out how to fly. So. You know, flying is so structured um, and, and that has been, it's been different for me, but it's been easier in that regard that they're, you know, when you're learning how to fly, you're working off of the syllabus, you're working with an instructor, you're getting very structured guidance. Uh, tattooing is kind of like, um, it's, it's so traditional in the sense that you, you go to the shop and you meet with a guy and maybe he's a good teacher, maybe he's not. And uh, it's, it's very DIY, right? There's no coursework for tattooing and, you know, convincing somebody as a new, I started, you know, as 19 years old when I started tattooing and convincing somebody to let a 19 year old tattoo them is much easier said than done. Like, yeah, I want to see some, uh, some of your previous work. I don't want to be the first one, man. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to, well, I don't really have much previous work. <laughs> Uh, but you know, they're, they've been difficult in different regards. Um, I, you know, hands down, I, the CFI, uh, work was the most tedious thing I have ever done in my entire life. And that, I mean, I've never worked so hard for anything. So it's, it's just, they're difficult in different capacities, you know? 
And both, I'm guessing both of these, as you're getting up, like you make mistakes and you face adversity and you got to figure out right on the fly of how to, uh, how to fix something. Uh, have you had a tattoo that's gone sideways and you had to either like come clean or you're able to save it before it got too bad or uh, vice versa in flying? Have you had any kind of uh, things pop up where you had to save it in uh, your instructor or during your uh, CFI training? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, you know, they're, they're, the stakes are high in both of them, right? Because, hey, if you make a mistake, chances are it's going to be a permanent one, whether it's in a tattoo or an airplane. And uh, it's, yeah, I, I learned very early on, uh, honesty is the best policy, especially when you're tattooing somebody. You know, say they're moving or something or the stencil wipes away and it's just, it's not going how you want it to go. Um, you know, now that I'm further into my career, it's a little less dire. I can, you know, I don't really mess up too many tattoos these days, knock on wood. Uh, but early on when you're learning it, yeah. yeah. Uh, early on when you're, when you're learning, man, it is just, you're kind of having to apologize to your friends a little bit and be like, Hey, <laughs> I'll cover this when I'm better, you know? Yeah, so the dog um, looks then, more yeah, like a flying. cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, when you're flying, you have to be honest, you know, I mean, you have to admit your mistakes and every mistake is a learning moment. And now for me, every, every mistake is a teaching moment, which is kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to be honest with yourself and honest with the person that you're working with. And, um, it, you can't have an ego about it. You really have to be open to learning. I'm guessing you didn't learn that right away. I'm guessing there was some kind of uh, mistakes down the road where you were like, you bluntly had to figure out like, dang, if I just would have told them, this would have been totally adverted. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, especially when you, in, in tattooing, you know, when you start out as a teenager and obviously, like I said, you know, I, I played loud music and I was very defiant. So, you know, that hard headedness was like, no, I'm not making I'm doing fine. This is fine. And then you look down and you're like, it's, yeah, this is not fine at all. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with flying, yeah, I've had moments where it's like when I was, when I was first learning how to fly, like you let something get away from you and it scares you, and, you know, cause you're up there alone and you're like, wow, I, if I would have just admitted that I was in a, in a precarious situation a little bit sooner, <laughs> this could have gone a lot better, you know? Now you are, you get to the point where you're a successful tattoo artist, uh, whether you're making a living off of it, whether you're doing really well and you can, you can afford to go back to flying or whatever it may be. Was it a difficult choice for you to, to start this process? Uh, I mean, you probably were pretty comfortable with your life. You had clients, you had uh, people coming in, you're doing pretty well. Why kind of start over and either branch into a new career or um, is it about personal growth? Is it just about uh, doing something you always wanted to do? Kind of talk about that. It's kind of the big picture. Um, you know, I, I was very, very, very comfortable where I was at with tattooing and uh, uh, almost to a fault because I started to feel kind of complacent in my career. And it was like, well, you know, where do I go from here? I'm booked out. I'm doing all these tattoos. I'm making good money. Uh, where's the fulfillment, you know? And, uh, I needed something to kind of kickstart my life and needed, um, yeah, a good, a good goal to set ahead of myself. And I kind of went back and forth, you know, it was one of those things where to a degree I started feeling like, Oh man, am I abandoning tattooing? You know, I've worked so hard for this career and built myself up to this point. And, uh, you know, am I, am I quitting? Am I, am I not being as dedicated as I should? And, you know, then I kind of took a step back and I was like, well, 
you know, life isn't about just picking one route and sticking to that route. You know, you can branch out and do so many things. And I, I really had a moment where I was like, I want to live in a way where I wake up and I do whatever I want to do that day, whether it's tattooing, whether it's flying an airplane, whether it's, you know, just hanging out, whatever. I want to do something that fulfills me that I want to do. And, uh, I, you know, I had to kind of, and I'm finding more balance now, but during the training process, I mean, anybody who's ever, you know, gone through all of their ratings knows how intense it can be and knows how much time you have to dedicate to it and how much money you have to dedicate to it. And, uh, I had to kind of find a good balance with that where it was like, okay, obviously I can't be at the tattoo shop six days a week. I gotta, you know, I have to devote time to learning how to fly, uh, especially, you know, the, the more advanced ratings and everything, it was, became very consuming. Um, but you know, you, the, the end goal here is to be able to do both. I want to be able to do the cool tattoos that I want to do and still enjoy that part of my life, but then pursue this professional path, uh, as an aviator and hopefully see where this goes. I mean, you know, CFI is, is the first step and I'm, I'm very, I'm finding myself very passionate about CFI. So I hope I can kind of dive deeper into it, but, um, I mean, it's just, why not have both, you know, why not do all those things that I just, I really want to do every day. Exactly. Why not? And I think the hard part, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit is when you make that jump, it's really hard to prioritize your time between one and the other to really make sure you're, you, you're diving in full in aviation, but not diving in too much to where you're going to burn out. It's like, keep the fun things in your life too, whether it's tattooing, whether it's hanging out with friends or whether it's just like your schoolwork or just I mean, who knows? There's like 16-year-olds flying, like playing video games. Whatever you need to do to have fun. It's like it's important to have some kind of uh, getaway from this because it does get tough every once in a while. Like sometimes it's really easy, but there's sometimes where you really just don't think you can do this anymore. And that's maybe some when you need to take a little bit of a break. Take a couple of days off. Don't go fly every day and just be like, oh, take a deep breath, come back at it and ready to go. And I think figuring that out is harder because everyone figures that out in their own way and they get to their own kind of uh, mini breaking point and being like, all right, I need to change how I go about this. And it sounds like you had a pretty good mindset about that the whole time. Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, burnout is a very real thing. <laughs> I mean, especially with flying. Um, there were, you know, it, there were points in times leading up to check rides where, you know, I wake up in a cold sweat thinking about different, you know, processes and everything, you know, like, how do you, how do you wake up immediately thinking about aviation and well, I'm running through my checklist flows while I'm still asleep, you know, like, but <laughs> that's a very real thing. And, and, um, you should absolutely let what you're passionate about consume you, but you have to have boundaries. You really have to be able to, to make sure that it doesn't, uh, you know, over consume you at that point. Like you said, yeah, take breaks, just have a day where you don't think about aviation, have a day where you just relax, you know? When, um, you made the switch, not the switch, but when you started this process, what was your goal for this? What was like, did you put any pressure to have a goal or were you just looking to have fun? You're like, let's get my private, see what it looks like and see if I want to continue. It was, it's, yeah, it started as just, you know what? I want to get my private. I want to fly. I want to be able to do this. And then, um, very rapidly, uh, turned into, all right, I want to take this thing all the way. Um, you know, about halfway through my private, I was like, this is a really, really cool world. And I could see myself being in this world for a long time, uh, in more than just a weekend warrior sense. And, um, 
there was some some hesitance there at first because um you know obviously i, I kind of have an abundance of hands and neck tattoos for a pilot so um you know at first i was like well i'll never be able to have like a working career as a pilot i'll never be able to to you know be a flight instructor i'll never be able to to fly for you know an airline which hey that's still completely open to interpretation i don't know yet um but the the more i got into it the more i socialized with people and the more that i really saw the the world of aviation for what it is the more confident i became in that and the more i was like yeah i i have to do this this is like i i love this I was going to ask, have you had any pushback for your tattoos? I know like aviation is very much an old white person <laughs> thing and they're, they're very kind of, uh, they have the same mentality and they have a picture of what a pilot might look like. And as soon as they don't see that, uh, they get judgy. You know how it is. Uh, everyone knows how it is. Uh, they've all seen it. But have you had any issues with that or has it been pretty good the whole time? Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it is Definitely, um, I, I've noticed that the older generations in aviation are more hesitant than the younger people in aviation. Um, you know, that that kind of cliche that you have to go around looking like Johnny Jet Engine is still there, um, you know, but it is dwindling. Uh, the more young people that get into tattooing, or sorry, not tattooing, uh, aviation, and especially the, you know, the more that have tattoos and that show up looking uh, a little more out of that mold. Um, I think it's, it's better because I have had a little bit of pushback. I have had some people, not so much. I, I don't think it comes from a place of judgment, but rather they're just kind of like, well, are you sure you're going to be able to, to do anything? Like, I, I don't know. Like they're not going to really like your tattoos. And, um, you know, the amount of even pilots I've talked to, they're like, well, obviously you're not going to the airlines. And I'm like, Hey man, why not? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, the airlines is only one route in aviation, but why not? You know, um, it's, it is, it is changing. Um, I have noticed that just in the time that I've been in aviation, that people are a little more accepting of it because when I first started showing up to the flight school and first started kind of, you know, stating my intentions around what I wanted to do there was some apprehension there. People were kind of like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. And I've had to prove myself in that. Right. Which I'm okay with. Uh, I like, I like that challenge. I like people kind of, you know, assuming one thing and, and, you know, me having the opportunity to hopefully prove them wrong. And, uh, but it's, especially with networking and social media, I've noticed that there is so much more support rather than judgment and it is it's amazing yeah and i think social media has definitely helped that like it's helped uh diversity in aviation because it gives you opportunity to see others like you maybe uh whether it's the way you look tattoos uh where you come from it, it has given you the ability to see someone like you do what you once thought was impossible because no one else like you did it and it gives you the opportunity to find your community. And that community can lead to jobs. Uh, it could be airline. It could be corporate. It could be anything. And like you said, even if you like CFIing, even if you just want to be a professional CFIer and tattoo, you can tattoo in airplanes maybe. Do a YouTube series. I don't know. There's so many things that you <laughs> exactly. can do that's uh, that's pretty cool. But it, uh, it has just given the opportunity to fully diversify and start the process. Like it's long overdue. But to divert, to divert, can't talk. To divert, wow. Let's try this one more time. <laughs> to diversify aviation, like it needs, <laughs> needed to happen. So yeah, it's cool. And I'm glad that you, you're pulling through because I know that it's got to be tough. I mean, when you don't meet the the kind of ideal of what 
these older generation or people at the the aviation and the airports that you go to, you can kind of get looks and be like, maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah, absolutely. It can be totally discouraging. Um, I mean, Hey, you know, that's, that's a big part of, of, uh, building a person's self-confidence when you're going into, uh, these kind of intimidating environments, you know, you go into a flight school for the first time and everyone around you is, you know, they're cool pilots. They're all really intelligent people. And yeah, I mean, when I first walked in and I'm covered in these tattoos and I look the way I do and, you know, I'm kind of like, oh man, these people probably think I'm a degenerate. And that was, you know, maybe part of my own self-esteem at that point. But, um, you know, when you start to see like, holy, yeah, these people are, they're kind of just like me, you know, they're just, they're, they want to do this. They're passionate about it. And once you kind of see that commonality, it becomes a lot easier. And it's just, it is so nice to just see more people open to joining this world and more people that think that, you know, maybe previously they, they thought like, ah, I I could never get into aviation. That's not for me, you know, because yeah, it, it has that kind of, time old cliche where it's like, you know, oh, you gotta be a, you know, a clean cut white guy with a mustache. And that's that. And, um, you know, anything less and you're not an aviator. And now it's like, no, you're seeing a huge surge in, uh, in, in younger people from every kind of background that you could imagine showing interest in aviation. It's really exciting. It is really exciting. And truly, I mean, as this is all changing, you never know what could happen in the future and what kind of job you could land. Uh, if the the pilot shortage could be to a point where Delta Airlines is hiring anyone and everyone, and I mean that don't neck tattoos, whatever it may be, degrees, anything, it could all change. So I think that you're in it at a good time, and I think literally the sky's the limit. You can find a career in something that you'd like to do uh, in aviation, whether it might be airlines or uh, corporate flying or anything. That's you know that's that's exactly how I've really felt about it for the past. I would say like two or three years as I've, you know, really started to, to find my confidence in this. And I think, yeah, we are on the cusp of seeing a pretty significant change in aviation. I mean, you're, you're already kind of starting to see that where, um, you know, they're, they're easing up on uh, cabin crew appearance requirements and uh, they're, they're, you know, allowing pilots to come into the field without degrees and, you're really starting to see it just little by little. And I think, yeah, like you said, this pilot shortage is really going to kind of force their hand because somebody has to fly the planes and, you know, are they going to be more concerned about how a person looks or are they going to be more concerned about whether or not they're qualified to actually fly the airplane? That well, hopefully if they're more concerned with their qualifications, but you know, that could be proven wrong. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, you'd hope so, but <laughs> yeah, you know, in theory and on paper, it all it all looks like it's going that way, and I hope it is, and it seems like it is. But time will tell, and I think um, we're really going to start to see that just over the next few years. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Did you know that working with a qualified financial advisor has shown an increase in investor returns by an estimated 3.95% each year by providing professional portfolio rebalancing, enhanced asset allocation, lower expense ratios, and even helping to keep clients from making behavioral financial mistakes, a qualified advisor can add value and reduce your financial stress year after year. Founded by pilots, for pilots, and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, 
RAA is intimately familiar with unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help you navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, download RAA's must-know financial facts or pilot's guide today at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Talk a little bit about uh, becoming a CFI. Uh, was this a, uh, I know we talked a little before about how far you're going to take this and how, you know, once you did your private, you kind of went all in and you knew you wanted to do this. Was CFI always the route you wanted to go? Did you always want to teach or were you surprised when you started doing it, how much you liked it? So I think as I was getting my private, just talking to people about aviation kind of sparked that, that little fire. Um, because, you know, I would, I would go fly in the morning and then I'd go to the tattoo shop in the afternoon and tattoo my clients. And all I could talk about the entire time they were in my chair was aviation. And they were probably so sick of hearing. (laughs) Yeah. You know how it is when a pilot starts to talk about aviation, it's game over. And I was like, wait, man, there's something to this. Like I, I really enjoy talking about this. And I started to realize that I really enjoyed seeing people starting to grasp the concepts that I was talking about and figuring out ways to explain it to them because uh, flying is a very complex thing and it's multifaceted and there's so many different um, things that you have to know to, to do it effectively. And, um, you know, it's like, why, how can I, how can I convey this to people? How can I explain this to people? And then I started realizing like, wait, this is what CFIs do. And this is something that I am finding a very, very strong passion in. And, you know, I was like, okay. And, and originally I will admit that I looked at CFI as kind of like the, the stepping stone, right. That everybody takes, well, get your commercial rating, get your CFI, build the hours, go to the, the next thing. And over the, the past couple of years, it's really uh, transformed into something that's like, no, this CFI is something that should be really taken seriously. And not that it's not taken seriously, but it should be taken more seriously. I mean, it's, it's, uh, even my examiner put it this way, where every other trade in the world, you take the most experienced people and you put them in the uh, instructor position. Aviation, you take some of the least experienced people in, t- in, you know, in, in terms of hours and time, and then you give them the instructor position. And it's really, I mean, I, I started to realize that. And I'm like, wow, man, like this is, I need to respect this. I need to, I want to do this and I want to be a very, I want to be a serious, good instructor for people because that's something that I, you know, I wish I had with, well, not that I didn't have a good, serious instructor, but, um, you know, it's just something that you realize as you're, as you're going through this whole process. For sure. I mean, it seems almost backwards, doesn't it? It's like, why do we have 300 hour pilots teaching people how to fly or in every other industry? It's the, the experience of being, uh, having industry experience and coming back to teach is usually what kind of goes on. And that might be different in some industries, but, uh, it does work for aviation. It's definitely an interesting industry in its own right that that's how we do things. And that's kind of how it's been done for a while. And I think it does kind of take away from flight instructors a little bit and it kind of portrays them as time builders and it's not a serious job, but I don't think that's the case at all. And I think that current flight instructors that are becoming professional flight instructors and doing this for a career are starting to change that. You know, like Chris Palmer, Jason Miller, like the, um, all the, the YouTube CFIs, I think they're doing a good job of showing that you can be very passionate about this, have this as a, as a career, 
and you can actually make money doing it. Like those, those guys and girls that are doing this, I'm, I don't know how much they make, but it seems like they're doing all right. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's different than flying an airline. You get to be home every single night. I mean, depending on how, how you go about it, but you could be home every single night. It's a very attractive side if you want to get into that. And uh, you definitely have to prepare yourself for people to kind of judge you like, Oh, you're just a CFI, but don't take it serious because they need you so bad. Uh, I, I don't yeah. know. It's crazy. Oh, it is. I mean, it's, yeah, you are in essence, you are an ambassador into aviation. You are literally taking this person who has potentially never even been in an airplane before, and you are turning them into a pilot. <laughs> that is so important, you know, and, and it's, uh, it's multidimensional too. You're, you're not only their flight instructor, but I mean, you know, these people, they they look up to flight instructors, you know, you are a mentor to them. They idolize you because you are the one who is, you know, this all knowing, uh, you know, pilot You're you're the ACE pilot that's teaching them how to be an ACE pilot. And, um, yeah, it shouldn't be cut short by any means. I mean, it should be like, wow, this is the celebrated position. This is such, and you know, if you are just using it to build time, that's totally acceptable. It's totally fine. Um, but you know, have some passion about it, at least be excited about it. And it doesn't have to be this monotonous thing that you're just, uh, you know, counting down the hours until you can do something better at that point. What was the hardest part of training for you? Was it private instrument, commercial CFI? Uh, is there anything that really kind of, you really, really struggled with or didn't enjoy going to, to go fly to work on? So I think each rating has its own set of challenges. Um, you know, private was difficult because I, I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't been in a school or studying environment in years. You know, I had been hanging out in tattoo shops and doing whatever I wanted every day, and then all of a sudden I got thrown into this world where, wait, I have to study and I have to take this seriously and I have to show up in places and I have you know like okay yeah this is this is a totally different thing that I'm used to, and so that transition was difficult. Um, but once I got into the swing of it, it became a little more natural. Um, you know, Hey, instrument rating that that's, that is difficult for, I think everybody, that's just a whole different level of flying. Um, commercial is honestly, I think everybody says commercial is kind of the easiest and not that it's the easiest, but it's at that point, I think you're experienced enough to, to go through the motions and you're, you should be, you know, a, a good enough pilot to learn the maneuvers pretty quickly. And, you know, it's just a new set of regs and everything. Um, but I, I will, you know, be completely honest and saying, yeah, CFI, man, that was the most difficult, just all encompassing task that I have done. Um, and not because, you know, you already kind of know the knowledge at that point, you already have that knowledge and you already have an understanding of everything, but you're, you're, ripping it open and you're exploring it in a completely new level. And I think that was pretty difficult because now you're not just learning something and maybe applying it or repeating it. Now you are understanding it to the level where you can teach it. Um, and, you know, obviously the workload alone with, with developing lesson plans and, uh, you know, doing all that, it was, that was absolutely the most difficult. Yeah, I did a couple. I didn't get my CFI, but I was in the process of getting my CFI when I got my job doing aero survey. And I knew I thought I didn't want to be a CFI. And I've said that a million times, but I was willing to put in the work to do it just because it's the only way I thought I could build time. But as I was doing it, I realized that I had this 
terrible trait where I understood it, but I didn't know how to explain it to someone else that didn't understand it. It's like I had to explain it to them how I understood it. And when they didn't get it, we just sit there and look at each other and be like, uh, I can say it again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you, man. It's like, this is what it is. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a big thing. I mean, that's, I, I will say, yeah, CFI is not necessarily for everybody. I think you do have to be, uh, you have to really find that, that teacher mentality in yourself, right? Where, yeah, you're, you're learning. Uh, I mean, this goes into, you know, the FOIs and everything, which is funny because the FOIs are, when you're first studying them, they're kind of dry. It's just like, okay, yeah, the, you know, basic psychology and that kind of stuff. But then you see it applied to the real world and you're like, wait, communication is everything. <laughs> I mean, if you're not speaking the same language as the person across from you, you could sit there and like you said, you could just repeat things until you're blue in the face and they're not going to understand it. So it's, it's kind of fun and I'm excited to get further into this with students and everything and really kind of find my my foothold in the CFI, but really figuring out creative ways to, to express that, to communicate things and um, make people, you know, understand things on a different level. You can uh, take the uh, first solo to a new extreme. Instead of cutting off the back of their shirt, you can tattoo their back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I can already guarantee I'll be doing first solo tattoos. Okay, I, mean, that's uh, know, I already have people just from the flight club that are like, oh, I did my first solo. I want to come get a tattoo. And now I'm like, wait, am I going to have a cl- uh, crossover clientele going on here? Yeah, right. That'll be kind of interesting. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's cool. Um, Talk a little bit about being a new CFI. Like, what's your game plan? How are you going to get people to train? Uh, what are you doing for material? How are you making your flight plans? Uh, are you adapting from the instructors you had and just making it your own? Kind of talk me through the process you're going through right now. Yeah, so it's, it's you know, you can get all this stuff prepared for the check ride. You can do your lesson plans and you can, you know, have everything nice and neat and orderly and organized. and uh, you know, the, the second you actually start working with students, you realize, Oh wait, none of that works. Uh, <laughs> or it works great. Uh, so it's one of the things where I've kind of preemptively, um, developed, you know, I have my generic lesson plans. I did buy some lesson plans just to reference. Um, cause you know, I mean, it's one of those things where you can't reinvent the wheel. You can just kind of keep it rolling. Right. Um, but from those generic lesson plans, I expanded on them and I said, okay, these are some of the more difficult concepts. These are some of the, the trouble areas that people have. And those I'm going to create personal lesson plans from and personalized ones. And so some of them I just did like kind of run of the mill lesson plans and others I made full on presentations for. And I'm going to experiment with this. I'm going to see how students respond to it. Um, you know, so far, some of the people that I've showed are super into it. They love the, the presentations that I've, I've come up with and, um, you know, hopefully that carries on to actual students and, and keeps them engaged and everything. But I think it has to be a really fluid dynamic. You have to be constantly changing the way you approach things as a CFI, because, you know, if something's not working and you keep trying it, it's, it's going to continue not working. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've really leaned on my peers, uh, for all this. I've, I've, talked to several friends of mine who have either been CFIs for several years at this point or who have been doing it for maybe a year or two. So they're just kind of uh, really getting uh, acclimated at that point. And then I've talked to uh, people as experienced as uh, designated pilot examiners. And, um, you know, my instructor 
has been doing it for 30 years. So he has super old school ways that actually, you know, some of those ways I'm taking it. I'm like, yeah, this is really beneficial. And I can take this and I can adapt it to a more modern approach. And, um, it's, it's just all about, I think really being open to the process. And, um, I'm going to really get a, a good feel for that in my students, you know, because when I'm listening to their feedback, uh, that's going to really guide me further along. Absolutely. And I, I think it'll be interesting to ask you this, but what do you kind of see, like what's your definition of a good CFI or what's the CFI you want to be? What are some traits that you, you really want to portray and uh, you think of when you think of CFI? So I, it drives me nuts when you see a CFI who is, I, I understand it's entirely possible to become jaded, right? And to become tired and you start getting that burnout. But every day you have a responsibility to, to really show and express your passion to your students. And I think a good CFI does that. I think a good CFI is excited to show up every day. I mean, you get to show up and fly an airplane every day, you know, like, <laughs> yes, you can complain about certain aspects of the job, but at the end of the day, you're showing up and you get to fly an airplane. The least you can do is be grateful and, and really express that to your students. And, you know, the obvious, yes, you know, teaching airmanship, teaching safety, those things that, um, you know, yet you can teach to the ACS and you can get them to pass the check ride, but are you, are you turning them into a good pilot? Are you making a good pilot out of this person? And I think that is the really important thing as a CFI because they're a complete reflection of you and who you are. Yeah. And another tough part for CFI for me was uh, not understanding what they didn't know. It's like you don't know what someone doesn't know. <laughs> you know, it's like coming in, someone might have <laughs> yeah. more knowledge than you do in this whole situation because their dad built the 737 or whatever it may be. But it's like they don't understand certain fundamentals of uh, of different things and you really don't know like how do you get into the nitty-gritty how are you going to figure out what they don't know that i mean it's just as much as you have to speak and communicate as a cfi i think you also have to you, you really have to listen you know you have to yeah absolutely get that feedback from from your students and you have to pay attention there's so many subtleties that i'm realizing that you, you really have to pay attention to, you know, like you can see in a person's face when they just don't understand something. And when you get to that point, you can't just keep talking and be like, well, nah, they'll pick it up. You know, it's like, okay, hold on. Yeah. Like how do you, uh, a notable example of this is I was explaining to a person how a throttle works. Right. And I was explaining to him, yeah, you push the throttle in. And for some reason, that statement right there, just pushing the throttle in, blew their mind. They're like, wait, what do you mean the throttle goes in? Wouldn't you pull the throttle out to open the throttle? And I, I realized like, wait, there's this communication breakdown. Like, hold on. You you are perceiving this in a completely different way. How do I communicate it? And it ended up being, I found, I, I was able to tell them like, you know how when you're in the car and you press the gas pedal in, that's like pushing the throttle in. And that made them like, instantly they were like, oh, light bulb on. I get it. Um, so it's all about, yeah, like really just, you have to pay attention. You know, you can't just run through the motion and run through a lesson just because you're checking off, you know, your little bullet points on your lesson plan. Um, you know, you have to stop and, and yeah, like really dig deep and make sure. And obviously, you know, as the training progresses, that's when you ask just random, you know, you fire off random questions to see what they understand and see how they correlate things. But, um, I'm excited. It goes so deep into human psychology that 
I just, you know, it's, it's like a crazy social experience to have in this position, you know? Absolutely. It's uh yeah, it really is. It goes very deep into human psychology. And if you enjoy that, then that's uh more power to you. It's uh embrace it, have fun with it and it really make it your own and uh, create a community that you, you wanted when you were looking for, uh, for getting into the flying. I think that's very important, you know, create the community that you be the change that you want to see and start that and reach out to your other tattoo friends. Be like, Hey man, come, come fly. Let's go do this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, trying to get new people involved in this is going to be so fun because I've already had friends of mine who, you know, otherwise, yeah, they, they thought, you know, it kind of loops back to that, like, well, I couldn't be a pilot. That world's not really for me. And now they see me and I'm like, no, man, I can teach you how to do this. Like I am a flight instructor. I can teach you how to be a pilot. And there's a lot more interest there. They're like, wait a minute. What's, I actually could do this. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's your advice? You're someone who's kind of relatively new to, to aviation, not new to aviation, but uh, you recently have gone through your path of getting all of your ratings. And now you're CFI. What's your... Um, what do you recommend to someone that's just starting right now? They're listening to this. Uh, they're transitioning from a different career to aviation. Uh, what do you recommend to someone that's jumping into aviation full on, ready to go? How do they be the best student they can possibly be? Just be open to the process. You know, you, you're going to have those points where you are so frustrated about something. You know, it could be something so minute. You know, it could just be maybe something on the ground or maybe something in the air, but you really have to just you have to find your reasoning and you have to work through those frustrations. Um, there have been several times where, yeah, I, I came down and it's just like, man, am I cut out for this? Like, am I, can I do this? You know, am I going to be a good pilot? And you just have to push through. You have to really work through those emotions. You have to just accept that every day is going to be a little different in the airplane, you know? You're going to have days where you fly just like an absolute champion. And you're going to have other days where you fly like you've never done it before. And that still happens even, you know, into your career and everything. And yeah, you're right. I am still very new into this. So I've, I've still got a lot to personally learn, but, um, you know, just never really allow yourself to, to take those little speed bumps and turn them into something more, right? Like there's always a way through it. Absolutely. And now it is time for the rapid fire section. Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high resolution coast to coast composite radar and cloud to cloud, cloud to ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes, along with always available weather products like METARs, Echo Tops, and Storm Tracks, Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out AOPA.org forward slash Sirius XM to get a two month free trial to try these products out for yourself. All right, Bradley. Well, I have some rapid fire questions for you. And these rapid fire questions are sponsored now. They are sponsored by Sirius XM. All right, here we go. What's your favorite airplane ever made? Oh man. Uh, that's, you put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many. Oh God. Got choose um, one. Clock's ticking. Yeah. Uh, Beach Baron, man. I love it. All right. What about a corporate jet? Corporate jet. Oh, man. The Citation. I love it. Just any of them, really. What about an airliner? You know, I don't have too much airliner experience, but I do love the 7.3 and the 777. There you go. That's, that's hard. What's, yeah. what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Ugliest airplane I've ever seen? Uh, <laughs> 
Oh man. It's, it's funny because there's no like one particular type, but there is this old beat up airplane that I see like every day at Centennial. I don't even know what kind it is, but I am amazed that it even flies. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to get in that plane, you know? Yeah, not really. What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? The, the workload. Uh, I wish I took the workload seriously. Uh, you know, I learned that later on. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? Oh, man. Uh, you know, it, that's a good one. That's a really good one because I keep thinking of people who have, who have passed and everything. And then in the modern day, you have guys like uh, Mike Patey. He's a, he's a good one. And then there's so many, you know, Citation Max. Hey, all those guys on social media. I want to yeah. meet you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Got to go Oshkosh. You can meet them there. Yeah, seriously. Uh, what's your favorite overall thing about aviation? If you choose one thing, what's your favorite? Uh, just the level of empowerment that it gives me for myself, man. The hardest flight you've ever flown? Uh, hardest flight I've ever flown. Um, I had a, a gear failure at a Piper Arrow 2. It got stuck down on a hot day in Denver. It was 96 degrees Fahrenheit here in Denver. And uh, I had a heavy airplane with the gear stuck down, and that was probably uh, the, the most scared I've ever been because it was like, man, we are sinking. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing you're not climbing too well. <laughs> not really, yeah, not at all. But if you had to choose between your gear being stuck down or up, I'm guessing being stuck down is the better option. I would say so, yeah. yeah. At least I knew that we were going to land a little smoother. Were you with an instructor or were you by yourself? I was with an instructor and it was funny because he was tapping the little gear worn light and he was like, why aren't you raising the gear? Why aren't we climbing? He was being, you know, the, the old grumpy instructor, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I tried, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what'd you guys do? Just come around and land or what, what was the situation? How'd you solve it? So, uh, this was during my instrument training. Uh, we were going missed on the, uh, I think it was the ILS three, five at, um, Aaron Spaceport, CFO, and uh, went missed. And, you know, I went to the procedures and went to raise the gear and went to climb. And I was like, oh, we're not really climbing. And then the gear board light was just buzzing at me. And that's when we kind of realized it. And it was one of those things where at first we thought it was maybe jammed or stuck like halfway up, halfway down. Um, and it was like, okay, what we need to do, because we had already started heading back to Centennial. And it was like, okay. Let's get back to Centennial. Let's have the tower check out our gear situation. If it's down, we're just going to, we're going to get it down on the ground. Uh, and then, you know, if obviously if we have, uh, something else going on, we'll, we'll work with it there. But, um, we, you know, we just, we called up tower. We explained to him what was going on. We didn't declare an emergency yet because we didn't know the status of it. Um, we just kept the airplane aloft and, uh, you know, work through everything. We, we had an excellent briefing on emergency procedures. What happens if we do need to belly land it or land it with asymmetrical gear failure? Um, and it was, it was looking back now, it was pretty fun to go through that, <laughs> uh, because of the experience that it gave me. It was not fun while it was happening. Uh, because like I said, high density altitude, heavy airplane, a lot of drag, not, not a good combination, but, um, you know, luckily it, it ended well and, we were able to land it and we just taxi back and I went home and relaxed that day. Yeah, drink a beer too, maybe like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a, I need to, I need to take a break. You know? yeah, that's funny. Um, well, I'm glad everything worked out well. Like I said, I'd rather have my gear be stuck down in most situations than uh, stuck up. Yeah. 
What's yeah, your favorite flight you've ever flown? Favorite flight? Uh, you know, when I was building uh, commercial time, I went down to uh, Spanish Peaks Airfield here in Colorado. And uh, I it was the first time in a while that I had just done like a non-training flight. And it was just the the quintessential general aviation flight. It was an old Cessna 172. I took off. I was just on a cross country completely alone. And this sounds so like dull and just normal, but for some reason that flight stuck out to me so much because I went down by the Spanish peaks and I was just, you know, you're down there further south and there's, you know, there's nobody on the radios at that point. So you're just up there just with the hum of the engine and, and nice smooth air and all this beautiful scenery around. And, uh, yeah, for some reason that flight sticks out to me a lot. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Favorite airport I've ever landed at. Um, let's see. I love Laramie. For some reason, <laughs> I love going to Laramie. Uh, How I many people say that? That flight. <laughs> not many. Not many. Yeah, just for some reason, man, that flight is just gorgeous. Uh, and that airport's just a fun one to be at. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. What's your least favorite airport? It could, uh, maybe you just don't like the airport. It could be every time you go there, like, there's a strong crosswind or it's bumpy, but what's your least favorite airport? Um, let's see. Least favorite. You know, there's, there's a couple small ones like Lyman for some reason is one where I just always have something Lyman and Erie. Yeah. Here in Denver, <laughs> for some reason, every time I go there, um, nobody, the people that should be talking on CTAF are not talking on CTAF. And it is just, I've talked to other people in the area and they experience the same things. And those airports, for some reason, as small as they are, just get so stressful. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I, I've had, not at those airports, but some of my most stressful moments have been at uncontrolled fields with someone flying on the other final and not talking at all. So that was cool. But it all worked exactly, out. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would, you rather, would you rather fly IFR or VFR? I love the technicalities of IFR. I think IFR is, is really fun. Um, I'm looking forward to becoming uh, a double eye so I can teach instruments. Uh, but Hey, VFR is just, you know, you point the nose and you go. Uh, so they both have their own, their own charm. I think. Well, it is your favorite airport food. Uh, let's actually make this. You are going on a cross country. You land some random airport with a crappy crew car. What food are you going to go get for your, to, to fuel up for your next flight? Oh man. See, I always have to try. I'm the difficult one in the group. Um, I, I don't eat meat or anything, uh, <laughs> so I have to try and find the, the Beyond Burgers and the Impossible Burgers or something. <laughs> so That's funny. It's uh, I have to do a lot of a lot of pre planning when I go to the uh, the airport uh, restaurants. I was gonna say, it must that's got to be somewhat difficult if you stop in like Kansas or something like that. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I you know there's there's a little Mexican restaurant in Goodland, Kansas that uh, they have a couple. Uh, plant-based options and uh that was like a that was like a blessing when i found that i was like oh man you mean <laughs> Coming like, every day have, i mean it's not much yeah, yeah. it's not much but i can have you know a little bit <laughs> would you rather fly over mountains the beach or cities i've you know i've never personally flown over the beach that's something that i have yet to check off um i desperately want to um i love mountain flying obviously you know i we have these pretty big mountains in in my backyard here um so learning how to fly in this environment, I think, is, has been really beneficial to me. And yeah, the mountains are just gorgeous to fly over. 
Long trips or short trips? Like a, a, you're in a 172, you can take it as far as you can possibly go or as many touch and goes you could do in a lesson. Uh, I love cross countries. Long trips for sure. What's the hardest truck ride you've ever had? Uh, honestly, probably my private, man. Because I just, I showed up and I had never done it before. And I didn't know how to show up prepared. Just flat out. I would agree. That was probably one of uh, yeah, I would say that was the hardest one just because I didn't know. And my nerves are probably a lot, a lot stronger at that point because I didn't know if I studied the right yeah. stuff. I mean, I watched this like old uh, YouTube video of this like really old person <laughs> interviewing someone else in the flight school. And it's like, well, I hope they ask me those questions because I'll get those right. But like, <laughs> I don't know what rabbit hole I'm going to go down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think at that, you know, you're private. You don't know how to... Uh, be concise in your answers so you do open up a lot of uh, a lot of rabbit holes for yourself what's the biggest win of your career so far uh, this could be aviation personal anything just uh what's like the the biggest one of your career man see if i honestly like this is I, i'm still riding this high right now because this is uh honestly one of the biggest things i've ever accomplished and it's uh it's like a dream come true you know it's something that still hasn't completely sunk in yet because I've thought about it every day for so many years and now it's here. <laughs> if you have one, what's the biggest regret of your career? I honestly, I don't have one. I really, you know, everything has just been such a learning experience for me. And maybe that's cliche to say that I don't have any regrets, but I, in full sincerity, I just don't. If you could do your training all over again, would you do part 41? Wow. Well, would you do a 141 training or a 61 training? 61 for sure. I have, I have enjoyed the benefits of 61. I think, uh, it's taken me a little longer to get my ratings than some people. Uh, but the experience and the knowledge that I've gained from just adapting to that lifestyle over the span of several years has been, I think, priceless. Absolutely. I'd agree. Uh, part 61 for me all day, every day. Yeah. Well, Bradley, congratulations. That is the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, coming on man. Uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I look forward to seeing how you build your clientele and become a CFI and what the future looks like for you. Uh, if you ever need anything, reach out. Um, you have my DM. Uh, let me know. I'll help out in any way. Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you bringing me on here. This has been great. And that is a wrap of episode 208 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Like I said, check out pilotscoffee.com. Whole beans have arrived. Ground coffee or whole beans, whatever you'd like. The best coffee in the game, continuing to be the best coffee and expanding. We're coming after you, Starbucks. Kind of, maybe, you never know. Pilot's coffee in every single airport would be pretty cool, right? Flight Aviation, I hope you're having a great day. And as always, happy flying.